This episode is sponsored by Trade Coffee. Now, we like a good cup of coffee around here, but running to the coffee shop takes time out of our busy day. We decided to try Trade Coffee, a coffee subscription service that makes it easy and convenient to enjoy a perfect cup of coffee here in the studio with no fancy equipment required. After you answer a couple questions, Trade matches you to the best coffee for your taste so you can discover new coffees. Right now, we are drinking Atomic House. Mm. It's a medium roast coffee that has a great smooth flavor. We like that it's... Not too caffeinated. We get our morning caffeine, but we don't feel jittery. At least I don't. Trade Coffee works directly with small batch roasters across the country, providing local employment. Atomic Coffee Roasters is actually located right near us in Salem, Massachusetts. Plus, we really like that Trade uses sustainable packaging. They switch from cardboard boxes to compostable packaging. Upgrade your coffee today with Trade Coffee and let them take the guesswork out of finding your perfect cup. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your subscription, plus free shipping at drinktrade.com slash now you know. That's drinktrade.com slash now you know for $30 off your subscription. All right, we're so lucky to have with us Tom Nash. He's one of my favorite financial YouTubers. Thank you so much, Tom, for being on the show with us today. I feel like it's a fanboy moment for me because I'm such a huge uh, fan of your show. I remember like a year ago, I was watching your 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 video and all of a sudden, out of the blue, uh, you mentioned, hey, you should watch Tom Nash. He makes great videos. And I had like 20,000 subs or something like that. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> so I'm actually a huge fan. Oh, ditto, Tom. We're really huge fans. We watch you all the time. In fact, um, you were saying just the other day something that's really relevant to a lot of our viewers right now, which is that a lot of people who are invested in, let's say, Tesla, uh, they're watching their investment just go down, down, down. And you had to tell you know somebody, hey, look, you can't lose faith right now because... I don't know. I don't know. What's your advice? Like a lot of people are feeling right now, like, I guess I should just sell everything and wait till this is over. Humans are very social animals. Let's put it this way. Okay. So when we see people behave a certain way in mass, we tend to kind of join in, you know, when the, the feet are hitting the shan, so to speak, without demonetizing the stream, the tendency is to run away. It's kind of a human instinct. You know, we run for safety. History shows one clear thing, guys. The S&P 500 over the course of a quarter of a century, if you take 20 years, 20 years, it never goes down. Uh, it will have a bad year. It can have a bad decade. You know, dot-com bubble crashed. We had a whole decade, even plus, of, uh, of subpar performance. But if you just stay long enough and stay for the course of 20 years, the S&P 500 will give you an average of 8 to 10% per year of the course of those 20 years because even after you had five or six horrible years, the market will bounce. So if you know that for a fact, uh, getting out is basically missing on that because there's a lot of the human behavior that prevents people from uh, from being able to time the market. And uh, you've seen my videos, so you know I've been saying, hey, things are going to go from bad to worse, right? So Tom, if you're saying this, why not sell now, right? And I say, look, I can see it coming as well. But the question is, can you time the market correctly? Can you identify the exit point and can you identify the re-entry point? So if, if we cannot effectively time the market, and I mean, generally speaking, retail investors, should we try to? No, because this is what's going to happen. Even if you identify the exit point, if you decide now, well, I'm going cash right now because I can see the avalanche coming. It's a decent bet, right? Let's say you timed it to perfection. You got out on time and everything crumbles. How do you know when it's the right time to re-enter? How do you know where's the bottom? So for most investors that are long-term investors, not day traders and such or swing traders, 
there's absolutely no better cheat code than time in the market versus trying to time the market. So I'm happy that you saw that video. I hope a lot of people will see it. I'm sure we'll get angry comments. So you make this sort of video, you know what's going to happen. The market is going to be tanking for the next six months. and everybody, Tom, but you told us to stay. Well, I meant as a stay for a decade, a decade and a half, you know, uh, but I, I get it. I'm willing to take the heat and the criticism that will come with it if most of the people will understand the idea and will treat it as a nest egg for their retirement. To your point, I mean, I remember back in like 1998, I thought this must be the top of the market, I'm getting out. And boy, was I stupid because it kept going up for two or three more years. There was lots of gains near the end, but I was out. And like you said, I didn't know when to get back in. So really good point there, Tom. Um, but I wanna push back on something. It seems like every financial advisor now is saying kind of the same naysayer stuff, which is we're about to get into this really bad recession. And are we just doing groupthink? People like Kathy Wood and Elon talk about technology. Are we counting that enough for all the gains that technology might be giving us? Because I just, I don't know, this feels different than any other recession I've seen in my life. It feels different because the job market is hot and the economy doesn't feel like it's in a recession. Exactly. Right. So then how are we in a recession? Right. Because you know, I mean, it's like typically... How? You know, you you can't get a job, so therefore I'm not spending money on on things like burgers and uh, trips, and so then there's less money in those markets. But now it seems like everyone has a job who wants a job. So this is just the weirdest recession I've ever heard of. The job numbers that just came out, you know, the numbers don't lie. The job numbers are super hot, and people have money. It's not like people are broke right now. So why is this different? Well, I'll tell you guys. There's this whole pointless academic debate of. What's the proper definition of a recession? Is it two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, which we had? Or is it the more elaborate kind of abstract version that they use to say that, that there is no recession from political reasons? I say that don't matter. And I'll tell you why. I think the job market numbers are a little bit lagging and think the pain is still ahead. This recession is really different because this recession didn't come from greed or any kind of uh, misuse or abuse of the system. This recession was caused by the government. I think that this was a policy mistake that caused this. Unfortunately, because the Fed basically let this thing play out without starting to get into restrictive interest rate hikes, what ended up happening is the train has now left the station. So at this point, everybody's still burning through the money that we got in 2020. The entire system is pumped with a shit ton of money. That's why everything still feels great. If you take a look at the PPI numbers that came out today, right? So PPI numbers are 8.5% year over year. So if you're providing services or building goods or whatever, your gross profit went down by 8.5%. Now that's a lot. The companies that experience this, which is pretty much almost every single company in the market right now, they have a problem. They have to make a very tough decision. They have to make a decision basically, look, we either uh, start rolling on the cost to you guys, or they can say, well, we're gonna absorb it. In both choices, Ironically enough, whether choice A or choice B, the result is the same. The result is that people will have less free disposable income to spend on uh, discretionary shit. If you're paying more for toothpaste and toilet paper, you have less for furniture and clothing and electronics. If your company terminated employees because they had to absorb the cost, you now don't have a job, so you have less to spend on this. Now, this creates a, a very slow but very scary effect, a snowball effect, where the amount of disposable income in the market goes down and down and down, people spend less, and it's kind of a self-feeding collapse of retail. The problem is these things take months, if not years, to actually manifest. 
Is this an opportunity for some people, though, because uh, if the market pulls down the value of companies, let's say like Tesla, innovative companies, and there were so many times people would say to us, Zach and Jesse, I missed it. I didn't get a chance to get in on Tesla. Is this possibly another chance to get in on a very strong company that's just having to weather a really tough time? You know what people say? They say that. And then you know what happens when the price drops? They're like, ah, I'm not buying this on the way down. So, <laughs> so they'll probably will be the same people who will not buy it. They go, oh, I missed it. Oh, no, I'm not buying this when it comes down. So they're a lost cause. And I know you guys don't subscribe to the Tesla cult and you've gotten heat for it. And I had the same argument with these people. I dare to say that I don't understand the Tesla Semi on Twitter and the barrage of death threats I have <laughs> in my inbox. <laughs> well, I saw, I saw that, Tom, and I, I'm not going to give you a death threat here, but I want to push back on that because we are getting a Semi truck and we believe in it. Yeah, why don't you think the Semi truck is all that? Here's my initial argument that was about the Semi truck. As far as why I'm not excited about it, Class 8 Semi trucks that have to go cross country, I, I always thought that there's a problem with the battery. There's a problem with the weight. There's a problem with the charging times. There's a problem with capacity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that is very hard to solve. I don't care about acceleration. I don't care about none of that. I care about it being fuel efficient or energy efficient and being able to maximize payload. With a battery, classic modern wisdom says, well, the battery adds weight, reduces your capacity. That's why I said, well, if I own a trucking company, I'm not switching necessarily because this is not like a consumer vehicle. Now, I'll tell you what, beyond the death threats that I have, there were a lot of smart people on Twitter, like Alex, who reached out to me and sent me actual schematics and data, which have shifted my mind towards neutral. So I'm not so much gun ho about it anymore. But as I told him, I'll tell you, I'm not sold on the idea entirely. Until I see fleets buy it and actually operate it, I'm, I'm going to pretend like it's not there for my valuation. Well, I mean, I think that's where the trucking market is now. They're willing to, you know, the Pepsis and the anheuser Bushes. they're saying, we, we should try these out. We have a huge fleets. If this turns out to be a game changer, then we're going to obviously be f some of the first on the list. We're also one of the first on the list. I don't know if Tesla's going to give us the truck before, you know, anheuser Bush. Kind of doubt it. I'm envious of your ability to get access to this we were just at the event. Yeah, we just we were just there. They said, "Hey, you can." Elon said, "There's a computer over there. Go sign up to get it." And I was and like, we "Okay, just, okay, <laughs> okay." Can I can I get an invite to drive this when when course, you guys get yeah. it? We're doing a butts and seats well, you tour. You won't have dude. the license, but we'll find some. We'll, we'll find a we'll find a you know parking it'll, lot. It'll drive like a Model Three. Exactly. So I mean, I'm not like worried that you're not going to like you know hit the double clutch right. <laughs> Is there a clutch? I don't think there's a clutch. No, no, it's going to drive <laughs> like a car. Like that's the crazy part. So, let's say the capacity is reduced, so you can't you can't transport as much stuff, but it is cheaper for you to transport that stuff. If you can move from point A to point B, even if you need two trucks and it's still cheaper, I just think that it it would begin to make sense, especially if that second truck didn't have a driver in it because it's platooning. I don't see where there's reduced weight. Elon said that it could have the same that's gross what he said. weight. That's so, what he said. I mean, so that's Elon's where, always right. That's so. where I've always been sitting. I'm like, I don't think that the capacity is going to go down. There's so much in a regular truck and there's so much to go wrong. I live right next to a highway because I'm saving up for a house someday. You know, so I'm right next to the freaking highway. Every night there is a truck parked on the side of the highway, broken down. A repaired guy has to come out. That's not cheap. I just think that if... if Million mile motors. Million mile motors and that kind of thing. I think it's going to start to pay itself off in ways that people just aren't expecting. I believe it when they see it. When they see fleets, I'll take it. History says that... Elon has sometimes been overly optimistic on timing 
but he has never said something will happen and completely botch the delivery. Yes, he sometimes promises things will happen too fast, but that's because he's a perfectionist and until it's ready, he's not going to release it. We haven't seen a product launch from Tesla basically flop and doesn't do what it's supposed to do. In fact, most of the time they over deliver. I think that Tesla is a generational company. And that's just looking at Tesla as a vehicle manufacturer. Straight up as a car company, they've already shredded the entire market and people don't understand this. Because like I hear people say, well, it's only a million cars. Forget Ford and GM, they're toast. Toyota is kind of the queen of the auto industry, right? And they make terrific cars. I love Toyota. They're the gold standard in the industry. So Toyota has worse margins than Tesla right now as it stands. So imagine if we're talking about a company that makes one-tenth of the vehicles of Toyota and has better margins. Like for people who do manufacturing, do you guys understand how insane that is to get more efficiency out of one-tenth of the capacity? I mean, for me as a guy who's been, who, who consulted clients in manufacturing, my head is literally about to explode of how insane that is. Imagine what happens when Tesla sells 10 million cars a year, which they will, by the way. The demand is almost hard line. It's a no-brainer. Tesla is going to dominate the auto industry and God knows which other industries. I'm really interested in your thoughts on TeslaBot. We just uh, covered the live stream the other day, but now I want to hear your thoughts. You've had time to kind of digest it. What do you think about TeslaBot? For me, the most exciting part was the, the brain part of it. When you see demos from Boston Dynamics and you see this... Uh, godlike robots that are doing insane like terminator level of you know things are jumping up and down they're agile it's incredible but uh, it serves a very specific purpose maybe a military purpose it's not even close to being a civilian mass adoption product what i look at this i say well they're building a consumer product these motherfuckers are building a butler i want them to water my plants get my groceries you know do my laundry do I don't want to do, bro, right? The strength of that product was when I saw the demo and we saw into the into the architecture what, what the bot actually sees, and you can see by the color schemes, by the car, the mother knows what he's looking at. If you think FSD is impressive, this thing is mind-blowing. And I just think this decade, it's going to happen. I mean, even if Elon's wrong with this three to five time year plan, and I think he was really good that he didn't say next year. He would have been tempted, <laughs> I think, a few years ago to be like, it's next year, but he didn't. I think that three to five years is realistic. I don't think it's realistic for a $20,000 bot. But I think and maybe not. Maybe I don't buy it, but maybe right. it's in but Tesla's you know, we factories. Came up, we came up with an episode where we said it's probably worth a million dollars to a company because this bot is going to work 24-7, seven days a week. Until it uh, revolts. Until it revolts, exactly. <laughs> until, until the singularity happens, right. exactly. <laughs> until Skynet. How about other companies like Ford, GM, Toyota, Honda? I know that you're saying that most of them won't survive. We think so too, but mm. a lot of people are looking. I mean, we have the new Ford F-150 Lightning. It's pretty cool. Uh, so what's wrong with that? Isn't Ford getting into all this? Luckily for Ford, the single-handedly best category to be in in the U.S. is trucks. I have friends who drive like a 16-year-old F-150s. They're brand new. So if their threshold for success in that category with an EV product is very low. But let me push back because we've been driving around and the one comment we get from people, which is true, is the price. Like we're, we have the middle level Lariat and it's like 80,000. I think it just went up to 87,000. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of money for a pickup truck. And then the elephant in the room, Cybertruck. Over a million people signed up for that thing. Now I know it's controversial. People are like, you love it or you hate it. But like we rode in it and it was amazing feeling. It feels like you're in a Porsche. Uh, what happens next year if Elon keeps to his timeline and the Cybertruck comes out and it's if it's successful, what do you think is going to happen? I don't think it would be an F-150 killer. Ford will have to figure out a way to make the product cheaper 
F-150 people will still drive an F-150. It's a different product, in my opinion. If you are a painter, carpenter, whatever, and you like your F-150 for functionality, you don't give a f**k it feels like a Porsche. It's pointless. They, they have different use cases, in my opinion. Tesla is going to sell a lot of Cybertrucks, but their presence in this category, I think, is what saves their ass, at least for a while. You're missing it, Tom. I think the Cybertruck's going to eat Ford's lunch, and here's a couple reasons why. One, made of stainless steel. So if I'm a truck guy, this thing ain't going to rust. Um, and this thing is made that's of, the only thing that kills trucks. And, and I the mean, thing is, this right. is thick stainless steel. Like we whacked our hand on it. This thing mm -hmm. is not going to dent. The second is, if Elon is so efficient with his trucks, which he is with his cars, that means that this truck will be efficient to run and cheaper to buy. And I think already we're looking at a really expensive Ford option. So Cybertruck, look, I don't think they're going to be able to come in at 39.9, which they said they would. I think inflation and all that is going to push them up. There is no way in the hell they sell it for 40 grand. There's no way. But I think if they can come in at 10 grand over that as their starting price truck, then I think that they're going to beat Ford in the price category. And so if you beat them in price, now it's just looks. I was at the event. And the first hour, everyone said, that is God ugly. I will never sign up for that truck. I was sitting there with a phone and, and thousands of people told me how they would never buy that truck. And then 24, 48 hours later, those people exact like, same fucking people mm -hmm. ordered the truck. They put down $100 on the truck. And these are people the who have exact never- exact same people. And these are people who have never seen it in person. It right. does look different in person. Yes. I think that there is a certain familiarity with owning an F-150. It's it's a cultural icon. For me, like as a Russian, for me, America is Coca-Cola, F-150. But I used to own a Polaroid, man, like, and, mm -hmm. and a Kodak, and I don't anymore. Like, we went to Blockbuster uh -huh. video. Yep. Taking away the crown from the F-150, it can happen, but I think it's much, it's not going to be this change in culture like we've seen in, when, in four-door sedans. Because honestly, there's no loyalty in four-door sedans. There's absolutely nothing. With trucks, there's there's a bond between the man and his truck. It's very hard to break it. So we'll see. We'll see. Oh, oh, acceleration will break <laughs> many bonds. Also, a bulletproof truck will break. Yes. It. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm I'm excited. I'm just excited as you are because I do think that it is uh it is a very difficult challenge for Tesla to to accomplish. Yeah. Also, look look. There's a production aspect here. Uh, they're still struggling to produce X and, uh, and S. There's, there's so much demand, so little capacity. So there's a lot of time for Ford to get their shit together and figure out a competitor for this. But we'll see. I'm not rooting for, for Ford to, to go out of business. I just want to circle back to, you know, if Elon's right in, say, five years, he's got um, Tesla bots working in his factories, even if he hasn't sold them yet to the public, if he's, even if he's just testing them out in his factories, that makes Tesla so much more efficient. Um, I mean, that, that means they can work 24 hours a day. And I just think that that is just going to make it really hard for companies like Ford and Honda to, to compete. Yeah. Like, imagine having no, no, no employees that needs to pee, shit, eat, uh, rest. Knowing Elon, he's going to give the bots options. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. And then lastly, Tom, what are your thoughts about uh, Starlink? Um, the fact that it could go public at some point, um, maybe even SpaceX would go public at some point. Are you, are you waiting for that day? Are you, are you excited about that? I think everybody's excited about SpaceX potentially going public. Uh, there is no reason absolutely for him to do it. He's raising as much money as he wants at whatever valuation he wants. As a Russian, I wouldn't, and I'm the kid of the 80s, Russian missile technology, irreplaceable, right? That's the concept we grew up in. Like, the CUs is the only way. Like, 
this use this thing go flies back and up lenses like reusable like the f is this like it's sci-fi right you can actually make money of sending to space and back i mean imagine that right tom thank you again so much for your time i'm so excited to have gotten a chance to talk to you and i know that we're going to be visiting you on your channel soon so i'm really looking forward to that as well thanks guys awesome thank you so much tom Thank you so much for watching this episode of In-Depth. If you want to see the full interview with Tom Nash, you can head over to our Disruptive Investing channel. Over there, we've got lots of different interviews with CEOs and leaders of very innovative and disruptive companies. Thank you so much for watching. Now you know.